0: by now you know that there's this big game going on later today and uh, there are going to be all these different feelings that you might experience as you are watching this game. For one, you may experience excitement if your team wins. And I have to say your team because there are fans of both sides here. Not too many on one, but anyway, like this idea of, man, if your team wins, just the excitement that you are going to feel. You also though, may experience some disappointment. Like maybe there's a third down play that just did not end up the way that you wanted to, and so you're feeling disappointed. Maybe you will feel anger. Like you're going to see one of those yellow flags and you're like, that wasn't a penalty. Or you're like, why didn't someone call that one? And so there may be some anger that you feel. Maybe you will experience confusion. Why did the coach call that play? <laughs> like that does not make any sense whatsoever. So maybe you'll experience some of that. Maybe a feeling that you will experience is happiness. Like there will be a commercial Or there's a nice little puppy that jumps into the arms of a grandma who's drinking a Coke, and it makes you feel happy, okay? Or maybe, maybe you're a halftime show kind of person, and Rihanna really does come out as she's advertised, like, with her hair looking like a Dr. Seuss person, it's like, that's so great, and you just, like, feel happy because of that. Maybe that will be the emotion that you'll feel. Maybe, as I'm talking about all this, the feeling that you will experience is just indifference. You're going to be like, what game? You're like, my book is really good. That's what you're reading. And so you're like, you don't care whatsoever about what's going on in the other room. Maybe the feeling that you're going to experience is fullness, because you've eaten a lot. Like, you have eaten everything that was there. Like, oh, maybe I ate too much, but that is the experience, you know, the feeling that you have at the moment. And so there's all these different feelings that maybe you will experience this afternoon. And I was thinking about just the different feelings that Jesus experienced. Now, I'm not watching the Super Bowl, okay? That was a little bit after his time. But, like, if you look at the Gospels, there are different feelings that are recorded that Jesus experienced. For instance, exhaustion or joy or anger or frustration, he felt disgust or grief, he felt loneliness, he felt rejection and dread, he felt amazement, but one word that comes up over and over and over again about Jesus is that he felt compassion. He felt compassion. Now, the verb in Greek is this word called splachnizomai, okay? So this verb means to show mercy, to have compassion, to feel sympathy. And so metaphorically, the ancient Greeks, they considered the inward parts of our bodies as the seat of all emotions, All right. And they felt that the bowels, the bowels was the seat where basically compassion and pity and mercy and kindness came from. And so I know I've mentioned this before, but it is Valentine's Day in a couple days. So if you have not found that perfect Valentine's Day card and you want to make it, you can simply write that I love you from the bottom of my bowels. And it will mean a lot. I mean, it's the thought that counts, right? Okay. But again, when they're talking through this idea of, man, the most deep expression that I can give to you is where it's coming from. In fact, compassion at its very root means to suffer with, okay? Not just feel something, to suffer with. And Mark Moore said that Jesus is the only one in Greek literature that turned the noun of having compassion into a verb, that I need to do something with this. And so that just made me look at Jesus and this word compassion, like where do we see it throughout the Gospels? And so I want to walk through some of these texts. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be there in just a second, Matthew chapter 9. But as you're turning there, I might even remind you that last week, we looked at one of the stories that Jesus told about the good Samaritan. And in that story, the Samaritan who had walked by saw this man who was half dead lying on the ground, and it said that he had splagned. Oh my, like he had compassion, he had pity on this person, and so then he did whatever he could to meet this man's needs. All right, so that's that same word. But in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35 and reading through verse 38, we read of this text with Jesus showing compassion. It says this Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds. And so here is Jesus, he's amongst the crowds. he's amongst the people, and his heart is touched. He feels compassion for them. He looks at them, he's like, man, they are like sheep without a shepherd, they don't know where to go. And so instead of just stopping there, feeling sorry for them, he's like, something needs to happen. So he says, we need to pray. We need to ask God to send out workers to be able to help lead all of these people because the harvest is right. And so he felt something, but it led to an action of prayer. Still in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14, all right? Matthew chapter 14, and kind of the context for this aspect is that Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist, his relative, has been killed, okay? For standing up for truth, he has been killed, and so he's just received the news. And so then in chapter 14, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. It says this, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, not only that, if you're to continue reading, this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So then he goes to meet the physical need of food that they have. And so in this moment, even when Jesus is not having a good day, like you've just heard this news that brings sorrow to your heart. Like in this moment, he still chooses to have compassion, but not just feelings for them. He then takes action. He heals and he feeds. In fact, this word again is found in, the, in just a couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 15 when we read of the feeding of the 4,000. The exact same kind of thing. He has compassion for the crowd and he feeds them. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, we'll be starting in verse 29 and reading verse through verse 34. Just another section when Jesus comes in contact with an individual or this time two. And so starting in verse 29, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answer, we want our sight And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight. They followed him. And so here these two men are, they're crying out. They're like, hey, here is our answer. And again, Jesus doesn't just feel for them. He then heals them. If you keep going to the next book, go to Mark chapter one. All right, Mark chapter one. We continue to see this word compassion tied in with Jesus. And we're going to go to verses 40 through 42. All right, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Here's what it tells us A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. And so again, here's this man, his heart goes out to him, and so he heals him. But not only that, if you read in there, he reached out and he touched him, physical touch, something that someone with leprosy was not given by anyone else as they stayed away from them. Jesus says, let me meet this need. The compassion drove him to an action. Turn to Mark chapter 9, okay? Mark chapter 9, in this sense, we have a father who is bringing his son to Jesus because his son is demon-possessed has caused all sorts of things towards his son, and he's looking for any kind of help that he can get. And so in chapter 9, verse 22, here is what the father says to Jesus. He says, It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, says, take pity on us and help us. That word pity, will you have compassion on us? Will you have mercy on us? And if you read the rest of this section, Jesus heals the son. And then for the last text I want to look at, go to Luke chapter 7. All right, Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 11 is where we'll start. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. And here's what we read that Luke writes for us. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. That's the same word, compassion. And he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. So again, here's Jesus, doesn't know this person, but the only son of a widow, so there's no husband to take care of her. Now there are no kids taking care of her, and his heart goes out, but he doesn't just stop there. He then raises the son. And every act that we see Jesus having compassion on someone doesn't just stop with the feeling There's an action that follows us. It's almost like Jesus had compassion and like what's happening next? Because compassion is not just an emotion. It elicits a response. In fact, it's kind of the difference between sympathy and compassion. In fact, if you look at our own dictionary, it talks about sympathy being this feeling of sorrow that we have for someone. But when you have compassion, you have a desire to alleviate whatever you've seen There's some action that comes. And and think about it this way. Maybe you're like walking along or you're driving along and you see some sort of accident, or you see someone laying down and you're like, oh, someone must be feeling bad or something happened. You might feel bad about it, sympathy, until maybe you learn that it's a child or a friend. And then all of a sudden you're going to kick in and what can I do to help this situation? There's action that comes from it. So that's the difference between sympathy and compassion. So the test of compassion is, is there any action that goes with it? What happens is there's a lot of times that we have these feelings of compassion and we feel like we've done something when we actually haven't. Like we've had these feelings, but it doesn't lead to anything. But until there's action, like nothing changes. Maybe you feel differently, but nothing changes. As the old Boston song says, it's more than a feeling. Like that's what compassion is. Now here's a question. If we know that, like if we understand, okay, I really ought to have some sort of action. Why do we not do that? I mean, sometimes we do. I mean, none of us are like heartless. So hear me on that. But sometimes there are uh, chances for us to show compassion and we choose not to. And there's multiple reasons. I think one of those reasons is because in the moment, we don't know what to do. Like our heart goes out, but it's like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Like, how can I really help? Or even if I do this little thing, is it going to make a difference at all. And so we end up not doing anything. And I was thinking back just to my life in different moments. And so the first memory that I've ever had, like as as young as I could be, I was somewhere between two and three. I don't know which one, but I remember actually being in a Sunday school classroom. That's my first memory. I can picture the coloring page of Jesus, that I had. And I can remember my teacher because she had really red hair. I don't know her name, anything like that, but she was investing in us every single week with two and three-year-olds that most probably never remembered her. And yet she still spent the time teaching us about Jesus. I think about my bus driver as I was in elementary school. And every single day, Jim would open the door and he would smile at us as we got on and just ask us how we're doing. I think about a couple youth coaches that we had, one in specific, we didn't call them that, but volunteers at church that specifically lived this lifestyle that you could tell their love for Jesus was genuine. And they tried to invest in all of the students as much as they could. And I just remember some of the conversations that we had as one-on-one. I got to thinking about some of the math teachers I have. Uh, like, again, I didn't realize the blessing that I had, but they tried to make things fun or even like understand. And I realized that not every math teacher was that way. Like even like learning things, like if you have to add 98 to something, instead of like trying to carry the one and do three and all that kind of stuff, like you add hundred and then you subtract two and boom, there's your number. And so like all these things made it easier for me that I realized not everyone had. And I'm like, man, how grateful I am for people who even spent that little bit of moment investing in me to be able to be a better person, be able to like math. I think to even the people when I was in high school, they began just asking me the simple question, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Because I think you'd be good at it. And if I were to step back and just list all those like I just did, none of those people did this huge impactful thing in the moment, except that little by little, they continued to inspire me, continued to mold me. And so I wonder what influences do we miss because either we think our efforts not going to go very far or we simply don't know what to do but we don't try to figure it out. I think that's one reason. I think another reason that sometimes we don't show compassion is we think that someone else will do it. All right? Someone else is going to do this. They're going to meet this need. And so I was thinking about how even like at an accident, like maybe it's a car accident or sometimes even a fight, whether that's in school, man, crowds can sometimes like gather all around and now people might even pull out their phones to video it and all that kind of stuff, but What happens when no one steps in like to stop something or to help or even to make the phone call because they thought someone else did. Like I remember when I took a CPR class probably 10 to 15 years ago, one of the things they said is if you're the one down there helping, you point to someone specifically and say, you call 911. Because if you just say call 911, there's so many times that someone won't. Everyone else is thinking someone will. And so you have to pick someone just to be able to do that. And that's what happens with us. Sometimes we feel like someone else is going to do it like someone else will reach out to your neighbor. Someone else is going to encourage your coworker. Someone else is going to help the homeless. Someone else is going to teach kids in the church. And I wonder how many influential moments go by without anything actually happening because of simply the wrong assumption that we thought someone else was going to meet the need. Here's a third reason that I think sometimes we don't reach out in compassion. And it's not one that we love to hear, but like, if we're being honest, like our hearts are just, we really don't care in that situation. Like, yeah, that doesn't really tug on the heartstrings. You know, I don't really care in this moment. Um, Kyle Eidelman, in his book, One at a Time, he said that a lot of times people think the opposite of, um, the opposite of compassion is hatred. Okay. You know what? Here's, you know, compassion, but no, I hate them. He said, no, actually it's not. It's indifference or apathy. So like, if you think about it, if I'm showing compassion, my hand is extended to help someone, but to be the opposite, it's not that I'm throwing a punch, but my hand simply goes in my pocket and I just stand back and I watch. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term, the seven deadly sins that were kind of listed. The list itself is never anywhere in scripture, but they, you know, early church people had kind of come up with things going, hey, these are things that lead elsewhere, lead to deeper things. So we need to kind of stay away from them. A lot of them, if you were to read the list, you'd be like, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. One of them is sloth. All right, sloth. And people might read that list going, why is that there? In fact, in our American culture, sometimes we'll read that list and say, that simply means laziness, right? Like God doesn't want us to be lazy. Well, he doesn't. There's plenty of scriptures about that. But actually, in the Latin, it means much more than just laziness. It means without care. Like in the moment, I just do not care. And I wonder how many opportunities to love one another, to love one at a time, pass by simply because our hearts don't care to make a difference. Real compassion, it doesn't just break our hearts, but it moves our muscles. In fact, if compassion doesn't cost you something, whether it's time or money or effort, then it will simply stay a noun. That I have a feeling, but that's where it ends. Frederick Buechner once said, "The hardest thing about really seeing and really hearing" is when you really have to do something about what you've seen and heard. So it's not just enough to see and hear it. Now I have to do something. God, you're calling me to do this. So compassion, it looks different, like in so many different circumstances. And so I want to tell you about a guy named Everett Swanson. All right. Back in 1952, he was living in Chicago and he took a flight to Korea All right, now he was a preacher, and during this time frame, it was the Korean War, and he's going over there to speak to the troops, to be able to encourage them. He's even excited to be able to share Jesus and the gospel with people who maybe haven't heard. But when he flies over there, it is winter, and it is cold. All right, and so anyway, he is led to his house that he's going to be staying at, and he lays his coat on the bed, and he turns around, and a kid runs into the room, and he grabs the coat and takes off running. All right, now he's a preacher, but he's also lived in Chicago. So he's like, okay, I'm taking off to this kid, okay? So he takes off running as fast as he can. He's got bigger legs, so he's able to kind of stay up, except this kid seems like he's done this before. And so like in this crowded street, he's like running around and through, and it looks like an Aladdin scene, okay? We're like down the streets. He's trying to follow him, and he's getting closer, and he goes around this corner, and he thinks, I've got him. And whenever it turns the corner, the kid is not anywhere, but he sees his coat on the ground. So he goes to pick it up, and when he does, there's a child underneath it. And as he looks kind of down this just um, alleyway, he begins to notice other rags and beat-up blankets, and under every single one of them is a child. And he's like, oh. And so he decides, he goes and gets some soup and feeds all these kids. He goes back to the house that he's staying at. He doesn't sleep well. He just can't get that image out of his mind of what he's seen. And the next morning, he goes back to be able to see the kids. But when he shows up, there's some officers there. But then he realizes that the officers, they're not harassing the kids in any way. They're actually checking to see who made it through the night. And any of them that passed away, they basically pick up their body and place on a truck and cart them away. He finished his time there with the troops and flew back and the whole entire like airline flight back. He's just thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so when he got back, he went to one of his friends who's a businessman. He went into his office and he just told him the whole story of what had happened. And his friend opened up the top door of his desk and he pulled out a check. Said, you know what? A few years ago, the Holy Spirit told me that you are going to help widows and orphans in some way. And so I want you to have this ready so that when the time comes, you're ready to meet a need. And so he wrote the name Everett Swanson on the, on the list and gave him the check. And that was the start of what you and I now know as Compassion International. Like in this moment, this man sees a situation. And even in the moment, I don't know what to do. But God, how do you want to use me? And God continues to use this one step at a time. used his friend, used him to make a difference to show compassion. But maybe even I tell you that story and you're like, okay, but that's a big thing. And like, that's like way across the world. What about like right here? Well, here's a video of showing compassion closer to home. Take a look. I know you really want to hear the gong again for those of you guys who served 907 times at least last week. But here's the thing, even as we're talking compassion, like you were talking maybe with your families or you're like, I want to sign up to be part of this. But even there, it wasn't just us alone. Like, I love what Gary even talked about the idea of the reason all those bags are so important is because it's dealing with people and it's meeting a need that they have, that a physical need that maybe they'll get to hear about Jesus as well. But even with that, that kind of event costs money, but we didn't have to pay a dime for it. Because someone else, God had worked in their heart to donate a whole lot of meals. What we did last Sunday, if we would have paid a check for it, would have cost like $68,600. Like, yeah, 35 cents a meal doesn't seem like that much, but when you do that many meals. And so again, just looking at how God uses the church and uses people wherever they're at. Hey, I've got this generosity. I've got the hands and feet. What is it? And he does things to make a difference. But even in there, you're like, but that was a big event. Okay, there are a lot of ways that we can show compassion. So maybe you're in the store and someone in front of you is paying with cash and they don't have enough. What if you step up to help them with that? Or maybe you see someone with groceries in their arms or two kids in their arms and you go and open the door for them. Or you see someone sitting all alone at work or school and simply let me go sit next to them so they're not by themselves. You can tell by someone's face and demeanor that they're having a rough day and simply you go over to encourage them. There's someone that you haven't seen in a while. So you send them a text just saying, hey, I've missed you. You get home from work and you're exhausted, but your kids wanna play some kind of game. And even for a moment, you're like, give me a few moments, but then you come back and play a game. All of those things are ways that you show compassion time and time again, more than just a one-time event. And if you're going, but man, none of those seem very big. Like, does that really make a difference? Can I remind you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40? He says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You and I were simply called to love one person at a time, show compassion to one person at a time. And as we begin to see things through this lens of compassion, man, God will start using you in ways that you never even dreamed But the test test of compassion, it's not just the feelings that you feel, but it'll be the one-at-a-time stories that you end up being able to tell that God used you. The whole reason that we do any of this is because of the compassion that Jesus gave us. I told you a whole bunch of lists. We read texts where that word splagnizomai is found. There's two other times, both in stories that Jesus tells. And in one of them, he tells about a father who has a son, actually has two sons, but one of his sons says, I want my inheritance right now. And he goes off and he squanders it all in wild living. And when he gets to the end of all that money, his friends leave, there's this famine. He looks for any kind of job that he can get. And he is feeding pigs, you know, looking at the food there going, man, I wish I could eat that. And he comes up with this apology in his mind going, maybe my dad will let me be a servant in the household not even son, but maybe I can live there and have my needs met. And so he's going over the apology, you know, that over and over in his head, and he begins to walk home. And then what we read in Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says this, it's talking about the father or no, the son. He says, so he got up and he went to his father. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Oh, his father had been hoping and praying that his son would come back, that his eyes would be open, that he would realize that I still love you. And so as soon as he sees him, he's not ready to scold him. The compassion leads to action and he throws his arms around him. That is the kind of love that our God has for us, that he wants us to come back to him. And he is ready to celebrate this life that we were once lost, but now we're found. But maybe even telling you that story, you're like, yeah, but Andy, like my list of stuff that I've done is probably bigger than what that son did. Or maybe it's not a big list, but you're like this one thing or these two things, like I have no idea how God could forgive me of those things. Let me tell you this other story that Jesus tells about a master and he has some different servants who have owed him money. And so one servant comes up who owes him at least a million dollars and he can't pay it. But he pleads, will you please give me more time so that that way I can go earn money and I can pay this? And there's no way that he can. But this is what we read in Matthew chapter 18, verse 27. It says, the servant's master took pity on him. That word compassion says he canceled the debt and he let him go. You know what? The master knew that there's no way the servant could pay back. You know, I can't just be good enough. I can't do all this stuff to earn my way. He says, it's okay. You are forgiven." It's not that I don't care about what your list is beforehand, but know that Jesus says, I care about you, not your list, and I want you to come to me to experience the love and be part of the family that we can celebrate. And so maybe today as you're sitting here and you're just listening to this compassion, like we need to make sure that we're showing compassion to other people because Jesus showed it first to us. But some of you, that compassion has been weighing on your heart, but it's just a feeling right now. You haven't done anything with it. And today is the day that you need to say, Jesus, I want to follow you with the rest of my life all the way into eternity. And if that's you here in just a few moments, I'm going to encourage you to go back to the prayer room that we can pray with you. Just encourage you in your next steps. All right, let's pray here. God, even as we look at your love and compassion, again, we, we show compassion to others because you first gave it to us. I'm thankful that you didn't just walk over us on the road. I'm thankful that you didn't just see us continually being harassed like sheep without a shepherd and just didn't care. God, you left heaven to come and save us. So thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us to have eyes, to be able to see moments of how we can show compassion in small moments and big moments. Help us not just to be stuck by I don't know what to do or think someone else is gonna do it. Um, God, may we do this for you and ultimately the kingdom benefits. God, we pray for those that are still our one-at-a-time people that we're praying for. God, may their hearts be open to the truth and may you continue to give us boldness as we live for you. So God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.